Good morning, Anthem. I don't want to say good morning a lot, so good morning. Wow, that was pitiful. Um, that's not a good start to the morning. Uh, but yeah, I usually get to preach at our college ministry salt company, um, and we preach at night, and so people are drinking coffee just at a different time of night. And so um, excited to be here and just um, be able to preach God's word this morning. And I get a cap our Genesis series. We've been in this series for a while now, and so it's genuinely a privilege to be able to finish off the story of Joseph today. And if you were with us last week, um, Luke spoke on the sovereignty of God. And what Luke said is that because God is sovereign, that changes the way that we live. And, and he gave us the definition for sovereign and then possessing supreme and ultimate power. And so me and him are going a little bit rogue and doing our own little mini-series on the sovereignty of God. And I'm going to bounce right off of that. And if you're taking notes, this is going to be the overarching theme that, that threads throughout our text here. It's because God is sovereign, we have peace. And, and, and we, we see the sovereignty of God back in, in Genesis 30. Joseph is born to Rachel. And, and we're 20 chapters later now, in chapter 50, 40 years later. And we get to see how God's sovereignly working behind the scenes in, in Joseph's life. And how he just faithfully rests in him and the peace that's in him. And, and how God provides because of that. And so they did so graciously give me five chapters of text to walk through today. Um, so we're going to go ahead and just dive right into the text. We're, we're going to start in chapter 46 and we'll end in chapter 50. Uh, but I'm not going to be able to hit everything today because there is five chapters. Um, so I would encourage you guys to just go back through and read it for yourselves. Um, but yeah, we are going to kind of pick through it a little bit. And so uh, chapter 46, verses 1 through 4. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am the God, God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And so if you haven't been with us at all, Jacob is in the land of Canaan at this point, and his sons went to the land of Egypt to get some food because there was a, there was a really big famine that hit. And so they get back, and what they find out when they were in, in Egypt is that their brother that they had sold into slavery 20 years prior, that brother was actually second in command in Egypt right now, and they had to go to that same brother and ask him for food. And so they have to come back now and tell their dad, Hey, you know your favorite son that we, we sold into slavery? Like, he actually, he didn't die. He didn't get killed. We sold him into slavery, and he's second in command in Egypt now. And so J God's calling Jacob to Egypt. And so Jacob's in Canaan. Egypt's a little ways away. And what he tells him is, hey, you're going to go here, and you're also going to die there. Joseph's going to close your eyes. What we need to see, though, is that doesn't make much sense for Jacob. And the reason that doesn't make sense for Jacob is because what God told Jacob in, in chapter, or not Jacob, Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis. And Abraham was Jacob's grandpa. And, and God told Abraham, he said, hey, I want you to go down to this land, which was the land of Canaan, and you're going to inherit that land. It's going to be the promised land, and you're going to be there. And then he says in chapter 15, you'll have descendants as numerous as the stars. And so Jacob's in the land of Canaan right now. Uh, but God is calling him away from this land to die in a different land and that doesn't make a lot of sense for Jacob because his grandpa was promised this land and they haven't inherited it all yet. They were just in there. And so what we need to see here 
is God will put you in places that do not make sense. Whether that be a job or, or a new town, a new location, different family dynamics, I don't know what that is for you, but God will put you in places that don't make sense. But we can faithfully walk into those, into those circumstances because of who God is. We, guys, we can't mess up God's plan because he is sovereign and there's peace in that. And, and here's the peace in this. He'll provide in those places. And we can see in this text here how he just graciously provides for Jacob. In the chapter 47, I'm going to read the first six verses for us. It says, So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen, and from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for the servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. If you're able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. And then we can see on, in, uh, on verse 27 of this chapter, thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. See, God didn't just send them to this land and say, hey, hey, ter- take care of yourself. He sends them to this land, and the, the unique thing about Egypt, if you look at the end of 46 there, it says, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So he's sending them into this land where they're actually hated. They, they were shepherds in their land. God's saying, hey, I want you to go to this place where you're hated, you're actually an abomination but, but God softens Pharaoh's heart to actually, hey, he gives them a job. He says, they're shepherds, right? Like, have them watch over my livestock and actually put them in the best of the land. And so God just faithfully provides for them. And, and what you're going to see from this, too, is on into to Exodus. And as you look throughout the, New, uh, the Old Testament, just how God graciously, he calls them out of the land of Canaan. It's just ridiculous. He calls them out of the land of Canaan to the land of Egypt. They eventually get back to Canaan. Canaan is built up, has all this inhabitants, has all these cities, and God just conquers it for them. So he says, hey, I actually want you to leave for a little bit so I can build it up for you, and then I'll let you come back and take it over. It's, it's ridiculous. And so, so God gets them back to this land, and he provided for them in ways that they just didn't understand, and it didn't make sense for Jacob to be there. But this, this doesn't mean that we're going to have, like, steak and wine every night. I mean, when you look at Joseph's story, there was suffering, and there was hardship, and it was so difficult, but we can walk like Jacob and like Joseph in faithfulness because God will provide and he's working out things we can't comprehend. For, for me, this was, this was last October. Last October, we're at Fall Retreat, and this was one week before I was supposed to go on full-time staff here at Salt Company. We're playing football, running around, feel a big pop in my knee, and it's like clearly not right. And so Go get some x-rays and uh, an MRI, actually, and uh, figure out that it's a major knee surgery. And so I have to get a cadaver, and so I have to wait till May to have the surgery. And now I'm eight months post-op, and I'm still not recovered. And please don't, like, I'm not saying, like, feeling sorry for myself because God used it in really big ways. Here's why that didn't make sense for me, though. Because I was one week from going on staff in full-time ministry. And, And the way that I felt like at that time I best related to people was on the court, on the field, in competition, playing sports with people. I played sports all through high school, 
middle school, a little bit in college, and I just, I related with people so well through that avenue. And I'm one week from going on full-time staff in ministry where I really do need to relate to people. And God takes away the thing that I feel like is how I relate with people best. It didn't make sense to me. And now I'm a year and three months post that. I still can't play sports and stuff. But it is fine. It really, it's fine. And in that time, I couldn't comprehend how God was going to use that. But God knew that Chris Kurtz was a little bit too prideful to be 100% healthy and learn how to relate with people differently. He did. And so now I can look on the back side of that and see God just used that to chisel me and just love, love me and, and, and use me in different ways for his kingdom than I would have initially thought worked out. But here's what I do need to clarify. I don't, I don't want this text to, to draw us inward and think that, that God is sovereign for us. God is sovereign for his glory, and our peace is a byproduct of that. God is sovereign and works for his glory. He doesn't just work for us. And some of you may hear that and it doesn't make sense. So we're going we're gonna to go to Psalm 23. I think it will be up here on the screen. It, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You're like, well, Chris, that seems like it's for me. It, it is. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's for me as well. I'm, we're in green pastures. We shall not want. We're provided for. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me into peace. And, and I do, I just, I love Psalm 23, the, the idea of the good shepherd here and, and how, how God is our shepherd and he's shepherding Jacob to Egypt and, and he's, he's providing for him and, and there's peace there. And so this relates so well to, to that passage, but, but it keeps going too. It says, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness, but it doesn't stop there. It says, for his name's sake. It doesn't say he, he makes me lie down in cream pastures, leads me beside still waters for Chris's name's sake. No, it says for his name's sake. So God does this. God provides for us, but it's for his glory. And maybe that doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense to me a lot of times. But the reason it doesn't make sense and it can sound selfish is because I'm a selfish human being. I'm a selfish human being, and I can think that's arrogant of God to be just for his glory, right? But I can't really comprehend how God could be for his glory, and it will be good for me because I'm selfish. And if I'm for me and for my glory, it's probably not going to be good for you guys because I'm a selfish human being. But God can simultaneously be for his glory and for our good. So I don't want us to walk with the notion that we have peace, and that's what really matters. We do have peace, but that's not the main point of our existence. It's a strong one, but I don't want us to hear that and think that God is living for us in our peace. God is sovereign, and we have peace, but God isn't sovereign for our peace. Our peace is for his glory, not for us. And, and, and there's a quote by John Piper that I absolutely love, and, and throughout the sermon, it started to make so much more sense to me. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. The more that I see the peace of God, the more that I see that, that walking with him, letting him guide me, lead me, shepherd me, the more I'm satisfied by him and the more I glorify him. So, so I am satisfied, but he is glorified because of that. Here's an illustration maybe. I'm a really big Packers fan. I love the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers play the Lions today at noon. And when they, when they beat the Lions and the Seahawks 
beat the 49ers, we're going to get the number one seed in the NFC, and then we're going to get home field advantage, and we're going to go win the Super Bowl, and I will be talking about it a lot. You're going to have to tell me to shut up. Uh, I will be really satisfied with my Packers when they, when they do good, when they make it to the Super Bowl. October 27th, when the Packers went in the Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead, I was very satisfied with my Packers. Thank you, yes. I was satisfied with them, and I talked about them a little bit differently. I wore their jersey a little bit differently. I glorified them a little bit differently. I didn't talk about them a lot last year when they went 7-9. and nine. I wasn't very satisfied with them. When we're more satisfied with God, though, we glorify him differently. The more we are satisfied in God, the more glory he gets from us. The more we rest in that peace, the more glory he gets from us. Again, he's more glorified in us when we're more satisfied in him, not ourselves. That's why he, he does all of that for his name's sake, because he realizes when, when we're where God wants us to be, that's the best place for us. That's when we're more satisfied, and, and he receives all the more glory because of that. He, he's a God that's not for his benefit. He's a God that's for his glory. And we're going to see how he's not for his benefit in the way that we would think benefit and how he sovereignly works out our salvation. It doesn't benefit him a lot, but it, but it brings him glory. And, and so we'll, we'll see that in the chapter 49 here. Verse 1. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. And, and so Jacob's gathering his sons. Jacob's other name is Israel. And, and so Jacob's sons would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so he's, he's prophesying blessing over them in this section right here. And so he's telling each of them what's going to happen. And I want us to look at the prophecy of Judah. This is verses 8 to 10. It says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's club. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of all the peoples. So again, he, he's prophesying what's going to happen to his sons here, and this is his son Judah. And this is, this is the chapter 38 Judah, Judah and Tamar. You recall that Judah that slept with the prostitute, but not just the prostitute, the prostitute that was his daughter-in-law, Judah. And, and, and here's, what, here's what he's saying. He says, hey, you, the scepter shall not depart from your feet, meaning the king, the savior of the universe is going to come from your lineage. God is working out our salvation and drawing us near to him and using broken people to do that since the beginning of the fall. He uses such broken things to sovereignly work out our salvation. And I want us to see, the lineage is super long here, so we're, gonna, we're just going to kind of bop through the slides. This is the, the lineage in, in Luke 3. And, and so, here's Joseph. This is just uh, Jesus' dad here on earth. You can keep going. I, I highlighted the ones I want us to see. There's a lot of names. You can keep going. You can keep going. Okay, here's, here's David. This is King David, right? So, I want to read Revelation 5.5 5 real quick. Revelation 5.5. 5. I moved my page a little bit. It says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, 
the root of David has conquered. It's saying that Jesus is going to come from this lineage. So there's David. Here's Boaz. This is Ruth's husband. We went through Ruth this summer. You can keep going. Oh, there was Judah on the last screen. The son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Keep going. And it goes all the way down. The, the son of Noah is in there. Then the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You can take that off. Ever since Adam and Eve ate the fruit and, and, and said, God, I know more than you, and separated us from right relationship with God, ever since they did that, God has sovereignly been working out our salvation. You can't look at a lineage like that and think, I'm too far, I'm outside of God, he couldn't possibly save me. There are some really, really broken people in that lineage. And it's just ridiculous how he works it out from the beginning of time. He didn't just randomly get to Abraham. He's like, oh, you sound good. Let's just, we'll pick you. It, he, he had been working it out since Adam. And some of you here may feel like you're too far gone to receive the forgiveness that Christ offers. Or, or if I ask the question, hey, who do you think is too far gone? If you're here and you've accepted Christ, but people come to your mind, it's like, yeah, they, they probably couldn't actually be saved. Right, they're, they're a little bit too far gone. I, I don't know if you know what, what they've done, but they, they've got a lot going on. That would be a hard one. That would be hard for God. Guys, sin can't derail God's aggressive plan for salvation. And here's the piece. You are not too far gone, and no amount of sin in your life is, is too far for the aggressive love of the Father. You don't need to fix yourself up. God sent his son Jesus to do that for you. And, and, and you're not outside the sovereignty of God, and others are not outside the sovereignty of God. Again, look at that lineage. It's absolutely ridiculous in the most beautiful way of how God works out Jesus coming through all that prophecy after prophecy being fulfilled on our behalf. And so we can also confidently pray for others and boldly speak to your aunt, your cousin, your uncle, your best friend, your spouse, understanding it's God sovereignly working. And he's, he's maybe doing stuff behind the scenes that you can't see, so you can ask hard questions, understanding it's not on your eloquence. Today is not on my eloquence. I can't get up here and convince you to love God. My confidence is in the scripture, in the sovereignty of God, that he would stir your affections but what a joy it is to be a part of someone's journey. But what a joy it is to, to, to tell someone about Jesus, and, and God has been working, and God uses that, uses you. It's not you, but God can use you. And we're going to see that up here today in baptism. We're going to see Scott and Christian come up, and I'm not going to tell a ton of Scott's story, but he, he verbalized to me how God had put Christian in his life to just persistently love him and pursue him. And Christian wouldn't say it was anything he did. He would say it was God that sovereignly worked and why Scott's taking these awesome steps of obedience today. But what a privilege it is to be a part of that story. And so are you gonna allow God to let you be a part of that? Or are you gonna sit back and say maybe someone else? Because it is such a joy. And again, the more we're satisfied in the God, the more we, we glorify his name and boldly proclaim him and boldly pray for people because no one is outside of the salvation of God. 
So as we start to come to a closing, we're going to end in chapter 50 here. Verses 15 to 21. It says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers in their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came down and fell before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, so here has, what's happened is Jacob, their father, has died. And now they get a little bit scared. So, so they thought maybe he was just keeping us alive because dad was alive. And now dad passed away. And they get a little bit nervous because Joseph is second in command in Egypt. He could off them if he wanted to. He has that kind of power. Uh, so they, say, they send a messenger and say, hey, hey, by the way, dad said don't kill us. And he, he, he sees that and he actually weeps. He says, am I in the place of God? Do I have that right to judge you, to, to kill you and condemn you? And, and he reminds them, what you did was evil. But I serve a God that was able to use it for good. We serve a God that can take broken things and make them good. We serve a God that is so sovereign, he can take broken things and make them good. He can take the most vile sin of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers and, and bring it about that millions would be saved from the famine. God is not bound by our sin. So, so here's the piece. Amidst hardship, really broken things, God is working out things right now that we can't really comprehend. And in Romans 8.28, it tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Those who, who love God, God pieces it together for their good. It doesn't say it's easy, but he says that all things work together. He takes this broken puzzle and he mends it together, works it together for their good. Here's what I don't want you to hear. I, I don't want you to hear, hey, buck up. You were sinned against, you were wrong, that was a hardship. It, you, you got, you, you're going through a lot. But it's all good because God's sovereign. Move on. I don't want you to hear that. We have let the sovereignty of God give us a naive callousness to the character of God. So I'm sorry when the church has downplayed your hurt. It, I, I'm, I'm sorry when it said, hey, I'm sorry that happened to you, but, but God's sovereign, he'll work it out. You, you see Joseph feels hurt in the story. Chapter 46, when he's reunited with his dad, who he hadn't seen for 20 years, he just weeps with him. He, he, Joseph cries more than anyone in this, in this narrative, honestly. He cries a lot. You can just, it says wept like 30 times. He cried so much. And, and, and he doesn't dismiss the evil when he talks to his brothers. He doesn't say, hey, it's all good. God worked it out. He said, that was evil, what you did against me. You intended it for evil, but God used it for good. And so he was able to see that, say that because he knows God is greater. And it took him 20 plus years to see why all of that happened to him. And it was hurt and it was hard, but he was able to get on the backside of it and see it was worth it. And he didn't just need to brush it off. 
And some of you are going through things right now that you can't really understand how God's going to use that. And it might not, it honestly might not make sense for a long time, but I can promise you, because of who God is, not because of anything I, I do, I can promise you because of who God is that you can get on the backside of it and say that was worth it. And I'm not downplaying hurt and saying move on. I'm saying lean into God, our good shepherd, who the character of God that loves you and cares for you. A good shepherd that hates sin too. He hates sin and evil, and he's for your good and for his glory. And he hates sin and evil so much to the extent that he sends Jesus to die for it. He doesn't just leave it in limbo. He comes to fix it for us. So, so this picture we get of Joseph, of sovereign suffering, is a shadow of what is to come because God, through Jesus, would put on the greatest display of evil this world has ever seen. The fury and the anger and the wrath of God that we rightfully deserve, that I rightfully deserve, being poured out on Jesus on the cross. When you, when you look at, the, at Jesus in the garden, he's sweating blood. He's sweating blood and he's saying, God, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. And he knew it wasn't going to be easy. He knew it was going to be so evil, but he knew it was going to be worth it, that he might bring salvation to the world and that God might be glorified. This is what Jesus said for us, and there is peace because God is sovereign. And because we have this peace, we can glorify him all the more. And and so I ask you as you go throughout this week in conversation with friends and family, boldly go into that in prayer and love, understanding it's God working in their heart. It's not your eloquence, but someone needs to have the conversation. And, And what a joy it would be that it would be you. When unexpected things hit, lean into him and the peace that God can provide in these circumstances. And if Jesus is something that you haven't truly accepted, I would ask that you strongly consider and take those steps or pray with someone because there is peace that comes with it. This peace, Philippians talks about this peace that surpasses understanding. In the most vile circumstances, the hardest things, you get a peace that surpasses understanding because we have a sovereign God on our side. And so have a conversation with someone, whether that's me or Stan or other pastors. There are God-fearing, God-loving people in this congregation here that would love to have conversations with you. Because God is sovereign, we get peace. So as the band comes up, I'm just going to pray over us. God, we do just thank you for your sovereignty, and that we get the opportunity to glorify you because of that. We get the opportunity to be satisfied in you because of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We get right relationship with the creator of the universe. Because of what you've done on the cross, we get right relationship with you, and we can live in light of that, and we get this peace that we can't really comprehend. We can't understand, but when we rest in that, people notice things. People notice it's a little bit different. And and so, God, as we go throughout this week, just just lay that on the hearts here. Lay your peace on the hearts. Let people just rest in you, the good shepherd that loves his people so much. God, we do just praise you and love you and just let us go out this week glorifying you in your name. In your holy name.
Amen.